Welcome to SLP Learning Series, a podcast series presented by SpeechTherapyPD.com. The SLP Learning Series explores various topics of speech-language pathology. Each season dives deeper into a topic with a different host and guest who are leaders in the field. Some topics include stuttering, AAC, sports concussion, teletherapy, ethics, and more. Each episode has an accompanying audio course on speechtherapypd.com and is available for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. Now, come along with us as we look closer into the many topics of speech-language pathology. Welcome to the podcast mini-series on the neuro presented by Speech therapypd.com. Thanks for joining us for our fourth episode, Introduction into Sports Concussions and Hidden Hearing Loss. This audio course is offered for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. I'm your host, Dr. Tabia Pope, President and CEO of Head to Speech Incorporated. Here are the financial and non-financial disclosures. I am the host of this podcast and receive compensation from speechtherapypd.com. My non-financial disclosures are that I am the founder, president, and CEO of Head to Speech Incorporated, a nonprofit organization. My guest, Dr. Jay Lucker, receives an honorarium from speechtherapypd.com for this episode, and no relevant non-financial relationships exist. And now, here is a little bit about my guest today. Dr. Jay Lucker is a professor emeritus in speech-language pathology at Howard University in Washington, D.C., He's a certified and licensed audiologist and speech-language pathologist and specializes in research, especially in the area of auditory processing and its disorders. Dr. Lucker is an internationally recognized expert in the field of auditory processing disorders. He has numerous publications on this topic in professional journals throughout the world. Dr. Lucker also serves on the board of directors for Head to Speech Incorporated. He brings his knowledge and background in auditory processing disorders to head to speech because many of the athletes who suffered head injuries and concussions, even mild concussions, may have suffered trauma to systems involved in processing auditory information. But there is a lack of awareness and understanding of how such head injuries can affect the athlete's abilities to process and understand what is said to them. This can affect their social lives, education, work, and life in general. The All the Neural podcast features guests who are either emerging, expanding, or influencing within the neural community, as well as those who can speak on topics related to brain injury, sports concussion management, and overall brain health. So welcome, Dr. Jay Lucker. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I am very happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. (laughs) Thank you. So we're discussing all things sports-related concussions and how it affects athletes' hearing and also how sports-related concussions cause auditory processing disorders. But before we get started, which category do you think describes you the most and why? Is it either emerging or expanding or influencing? I would say influencing, and a lot has to do with all of the students that I have had as students, you know, in the university, as well as the books that I have published, because I have published books on the field, as well as many of the articles and many of the presentations that I have made all over the world. 
Well, thank you so much for your contributions to our profession. And what is one thing that you've learned as you influence our profession through your private practice as well? One thing that I've learned <laughs> that's limiting a lot. No, one thing that I've learned is that people, at least in my field, which is the area of hidden hearing loss, which really is processing and auditory processing disorders, is that they're becoming auditory processing and auditory processing disorders becoming more understood, more accepted, and more open, especially within our professions of speech language pathology, audiology, occupational therapy, even, and even in education. But it still is very much a hidden factor. I love that title, hidden hearing loss. When we think of people who have had concussions, especially sports. And so the thing that I think that I've learned a lot of is how much we need to let people know that when a person has a sports concussion, okay, even if it's just, oh, I bang my head into yours, but I'm feeling a little dizzy. Oh, sit down for a while. How are you feeling 10 minutes, 15 minutes late? I'm okay now. Okay, go up and play. No one wonders. No one considers. I shouldn't say no one. If there's anyone, it's very, very, very rare of anyone who would consider how well are you processing, hearing, understanding, filtering what's not important, and being able to understand. And then we send these students, especially back to school, and there's their teacher talking as fast as I'm talking now, and they are processing. Do I have to slow down or you got the idea? They're processing, you know, like, you know, slow as can be. And the teachers, you know, already at the end of the alphabet and they're up to what letter comes after M. Mm -hmm. So it's good to know a lot of people are learning and really open and wanting to know more about auditory processing, especially, I hope, as it relates to people with head injuries, especially sports And we're going to get into that. So that's a great segue into what we're going to be talking about this evening. So how does sports-related concussions affect an athlete's hearing? So let's start with hearing. How does it affect the athlete's hearing? It really depends on where the concussion occurs. But if we think about what has happened, especially over, let's say, the last decades, the helmets that people are wearing now, even for riding bicycles. We don't think of athletes when we think of bicyclists, but athletes are athletes, okay? The helmets that people wear when they're playing football and other sports. But then what about things like baseball? No one's wearing a helmet. You know, in terms of the ball gets hit, you're going for it, you're trying to find it, and all of a sudden it hits you in the head, you know? Those kinds of things. And the thing is that it usually hits the top of the head, back of the head, front of the head, Usually the injury doesn't hit down here. Hearing itself is just what's going on in the ears, the auditory system. And I have to say, especially since I specialize in auditory processing, really don't see, you know, people with sports, children, students with sports injuries who have hearing loss. What they have is the inability to process that which they hear. That's Mm -hmm. a big difference. Mm-hmm. Can you describe the parts of the ear that are typically not protect, protected? Just want to just get into that. Just describe a little bit for our listeners, you know, the ear the, and maybe a little bit about the anatomy of like what's not protected in, with, when you have the helmet. 
Okay, we'll stay with the ear, and then if it's okay with you, I'm going to go into higher level. Okay, from the ear point of view, think about you know the typical athlete and a helmet. Okay, I'm going to use my hands. Right, so the outer ear and the opening to the ear is protected. Okay, second thing is that is protecting the sound coming in. Okay, but there's nothing that's protecting the bones of the middle ear and the eardrum to be vibrating, Mm -hmm. right? And when you get smacked, excuse my doing that, okay, it's possible to, I'm just gonna make believe this is a bone, right? You see it all of a sudden jerked. The smallest bone in the middle ear is called the stapedial bone, stapes, okay? For those who aren't familiar with the, the Latin names for it, the stirrup, the hammer anvil stirrup, which is the malleus incus and stapes, the stapes, that bone can be shoved into the inner ear, sending a very violent wave in the inner ear. The helmet can't protect the inner ear. And so that wave can cause the hair cells, which are vibrating like this, to bend too much. What happened? They died. And the thing is, that's what could cause it. We go beyond that, we're now into the central auditory nervous system. And basically, for most people, it, most people, even if the left-handed people, right-handed people, like 99% of them are left-brained. And left-handed people, about 65% of them are left-brained. What the left brain holds is the center of our auditory neural reception, where we pick up and get the sound, it ends there. Okay, so it's over here. So I'm wearing a helmet, right? Okay, the helmet is on both sides. And I'm sure that anyone who knows a little bit even about the brain knows of something called coup and contra coup. So all of a sudden I get slammed in the head with my helmet, slammed on the right side. What happens is, so this is my brain, Okay, this is the temporal lobe right above your ear, right here. It gets pushed smack right against the bone of the skull. And there's fluid in there that's going to be shaken up like crazy. It's possible that that could cause then overflow of the wave and cause the hair cells to down, which would cause a hearing problem. But what's greater than that is. After it hits this way, it comes back. Now watch carefully. See my hands? They're connected. It's hit this way. See, this is the normal connection. But then as it comes back, guess what's going to happen? Right? So here they are naturally connected. Then they're pushed together. But then all of a sudden, as they're pulled apart, some of the nerve endings, the axons, okay, kind of, I apologize, you used the word rip, rip away. And what happens is the person doesn't have all of the connections that the person had before the incident, before the accident. Mm-hmm. And that's where all of a sudden, while you're talking, it's going to sound like this. Or, as right. I said, all of a sudden, as you're talking, it's going to sound like that. Right. So what are the two auditory difficulties that are reported usually by athletes that have sustained a sports-related concussion? Okay, the most common things that I see is 
bringing in the air or what we call tinnitus. And that's probably because air cells have possibly been not functioning properly anymore. So they're functioning and the neural pickup is functioning even though there's no sound. So the brain is hearing or processing sound that doesn't really exist. Usually a high-pitched sound. It's very often just a one continuous sound, sometimes a mush of sound. I'm sorry, but what's going to describe it? You know, like a kind of sound. And the thing is, the person hears it all the time. And it's constant. And it becomes annoying. The second most common thing is being able to understand people talking to you, especially when there's background noise. And that's because what happened is that the auditory system is now trying hard to understand what the person's saying, and it doesn't have the equal ability anymore to filter out the unwanted. And I also share something else. Sometimes, very often, it's forward and back this way that the accident occurs. Well, right above your eyebrows, inside your brain, is an region called the executor functioning, and that gets slammed, okay? Not necessarily hit even. You can hit the back, but it gets pushed forward and then slammed back. And what happens is the executor is now not functioning properly. The executor is doing two things, which I see as a problem with often with people with sports injury concussions, or just sports injuries, you know, TBI. And the thing is, one is they can't make decisions appropriately and as quickly as it was before. So if you ask them, what's your name? John. Now he did answer, right? And we'll make believe his name really is John. Probably, but what took so long? So in social situations, this is what probably, I'm now the speaker, the person is listening that way. What's your name? You know, I ask you, what's your name? Come on, what's your name? Well, this is what he's processed. Your name, your name, your name. Oh, I don't have three names. What are they talking about? What am I supposed to say? How am I supposed to? Because it's just too much. Overwhelming, overloading. You know what the easiest thing to do is? Respond. I don't know. And that's a great segue into our next question. My next question to you is, you know, how does sports-related concussions cause auditory processing disorders? And so you kind of already touched on it. But I want you to talk about how it negatively impacts the athlete's learning, because there's so much, you know, auditory processing can impact learning as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, speed of processing, that's what I was talking about, is a big factor. I'll give you an example. Okay. Okay. So we're going to make believe now that I am an athlete and I'm learning something I've never heard before, a new topic, right? To make it easy, I'm going to count. So we're going to learn how to count. But this is the way the teacher can say it. Hey, everyone, we're going to learn how to count. This is the way you do it. And I'm not going to show you visually. It's all going to be auditory. The teacher's lecture. So this is what the teacher says. One, two, three, et cetera, up to 10. This is what the athlete's brain is processing. One, wait a second. What is that? That's one. Next thing. Three, oh, one and three. The next thing, six. Okay, okay, that's six. 
Okay, so it's one, three, six, and the last thing the teacher says is 10. So I've now got, we'll make believe my memory is not involved, although it very often is. Okay, I remember now, teacher calls on me. I raise my hand. Okay, tell me, count for us. One, three, six, 10. And I'm looking, because the teacher's looking crazy at me. What did I do wrong? I just, that's exactly what the teacher said. In other words, so the, the athlete may not get all of the words, but he put it together the way it was processed. New information, mm-hmm. you know, new units of study, unfamiliar information, mm-hmm. multi-step directions. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I'd like you to do it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I'm going to ask you to do this. Ready? Okay. But I'm going to do it the way your brain, because we're going to, I just gave you a concussion. <laughs> Okay. And the thing is that this is it. Okay. We're going to have dinner to be it. Okay. Look at your and now upstairs and then come down and join us. Okay. What are you going to do? Look at your hands, go upstairs, come back down and join us with dirty, filthy. Because what you didn't process because it came too fast was look at your hands. They're dirty. Go upstairs, wash your hands, then come and join us. Mm. Affects us in, you know, following directions, or not us. The athlete can be affected in following directions, mm-hmm. socially communicating, etc. Mm-hmm. And why should we periodically check, not just merely just after the incident occurs, but why should we periodically check auditory processing in this population? Because the initial shaking up and the initial concussion can cause, and I'll use a make-believe scale, eight, one to 10, can cause a 10-unit of auditory dysfunctioning. But it will come down, right? It will reduce. We'll make-believe it drops down to five. But it didn't go down to zero. Thing is, we just see an improvement. I'm listening better, paying attention better. I still don't get what you're saying. I still can't remember it. I still can't filter out the background noise. And I may not be aware because one thing would be I'd stop listening because it's too confusing. So talk to me and watch. What's the first thing you would say if you were the teacher? Can you please look at me and pay attention? Attention. And so what I have seen, this is one thing with a lot of sports injuries is that they come to me because of listening because they've gotten to a or someone who recognized, wait, we should check out the auditory process, but they've been diagnosed with ADHD mm. and it may not be ADHD. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important to also talk about the behavior, how, like you said, the behavior and auditory processing. Do you want to talk about that? Like how the differences between those or what you've seen? Mm-hmm. In those differences? Mm-hmm. Well, happy to. Number one is anxiety. No, well, number one would be the attention. We already talked about that. Mm-hmm. Another one is then anxiety. If we're having a conversation and I can't respond and you're constantly saying to me, would you listen to me? Would you listen to me? Would you listen to me? Or didn't you hear what I said? I apologize. I'm trying to do it the way, you know, <laughs> the way a social person would do it, right? I kind of feel very negative. But everything the person is saying is, what am I doing? as if I have chosen to do it. 
But then I analyze it and I say, I was listening. I was listening to everything you said. This is what I got. This is what I quote unquote heard. This is what I processed. No, you didn't. I said blah, blah, blah. You didn't, blah, blah. you know, whatever it is. But I didn't get it. You didn't say that because I'm going to deny that you said it because I didn't process it. I didn't get it. And the first thing, oh, not the first thing. What can happen then? It's increased, I call it negative emotionality, anxiety. Mm. What happens with anxiety? I now walk into the classroom. I can't get what the teacher is saying for the past two months. Now the teacher is still talking. Before I even sit down and listen to the teacher, I become anxious. Except mm-hmm. for one thing, the teacher hands out a piece of paper and says, we're having a test. Mm-hmm. And my anxiety is now really up the roof. and I fail the test. Mm. Yeah. Wow. With special rates for all groups of five or more, along with our free student accounts, SpeechTherapyPD.com continues to be the fastest growing CE provider. If you'd like this podcast and want to hear more, we are offering an audio course subscription special coupon code to listeners of this podcast. Simply enter the word SLP Learn for $20 off. We're going to get into assessments and interventions because I'm curious to know what you would do to how to assess mm-hmm. and, and intervene in that in that area. Are there you know, any reasons behind the auditory processes system being referred to as a hidden hearing loss? You, you just you talked about that beginning, but I would like for you to kind of dive into that a little bit more, because in our profession, we usually think about expressive language and we always often miss the receptive and receptive language. And I really want to hone in on both expressive and receptive language and how it's important for this population and looking at both. Can you tell us a little bit more about the reasons behind the auditory processing system and why it's referred to the hidden hearing loss and why it's important for speech pathologists and audiologists Mm -hmm. as well? Right, okay. The field of auditory processing was kind of unknown, and people did not understand it for years. When it first started, the first person who really kind of identified it was a psychologist. So now the question is, is it a disorder of psychology? One thing, psychologists didn't know how to evaluate it. They didn't know what to call it. So the original name or the earliest, earliest name was called, okay, you ready for this? Okay. Childhood aphasia. Childhood aphasia. So what is aphasia? Who works with aphasia? Speech pathologists. So speech pathologists got involved with childhood aphasia. Okay. And the thing is that so long as the person can pass basic deep raise hand hearing test, it's not a hearing loss. It's that they can't process the language. It's language. Okay. But then speech science pathologists were trying to explain. What's the cause of childhood aphasia? And not in all cases, but in most of the cases, the Russians and brain injury, the problem is not due to the auditory centers, the language centers of the brain. Okay. In other words, if I gave you a slip of paper through the computer, would you grab it? Why not? <laughs> you can't, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? You can't. Okay, so the thing is that if the language center is looking for the auditory information, but it's not there, Mm. there's a block because of the problem due to the concussion 
basically the language isn't there. So it's not that. So a couple of people started getting involved with neurological disorders in adults. And what they found was there were many adults, not just, you know, sports related with brain injuries and neurological disorders who could not filter out sound. Mm. And what they found was that most of these adults had neurological disorders of the low brainstem pathway traveling from the ear up to then they started to investigate by the way these people were not americans they were europeans started in europe and these europeans then looked and they found that if you say something to one ear and at the same time say something to the other ear very often these people could only get one thing from one ear i say let's say the word house oh one of the tests was numbers say the number three, and at the same time, the number seven. Seven is easy. Three and six. And all you repeat is three, right here. Five, nine, but at the same time, they recorded. And all you repeat is five. Why are you missing the thing in your left ear? So the question that came up is, this isn't a language problem. It's an auditory system problem. We all just got involved, and I apologize to bring this up. I know we're recording, so if I have to go to the court, I'll still say this is what I believe. It was political, that audiologists wanted to own it, because then all people with auditory problems will come to audiologists. If they don't have a beep, beep, raise your hand, hearing loss, I'll test their auditory processing. I'll diagnose them with an auditory processing disorder. And therefore, if I can do that, our professional associations agreed. And back in 2005, they published saying that the diagnosis of an auditory processing disorder is solely within the scope of practice of the audiologist. Therefore, what do you think audiologists will cause anything? Hearing loss or auditory? Mm -hmm. And the thing is, what they were trying to say is, these were people who you wouldn't normally see as having a hearing loss. So they called it a hidden hearing loss. Hmm. Wow. And so speech pathologists, we tend to understand auditory processing as well and auditory comprehension as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm. Can I share, though, if I may? Okay. Sure. This is important for those speech pathologists who are on this podcast listening. Yes. Auditory comprehension is definitely a component of auditory processing. Comprehension in and of itself is the ability to interpret the meaning of the linguistic message. Auditory processing leads the information to the language center to interpret that mm -hmm. meaning. And I love how you distinguish the two. Because we often do talk about auditory processing and auditory comprehension. So it's important to know the difference between the two. Mm -hmm. So let's get into assessment and intervention, because now mm -hmm. that we understand, you know, behind the hearing loss and the hidden hearing loss and the auditory processing disorders. So how do we, you know, what type of recommendation or comprehensive evaluations do you recommend for this population? So what assessments and intervention protocols you know, do you use to identify an athlete that may have auditory processing disorders after a sports-related concussion? 
Absolutely. Well, the first thing we want to make sure is to rule out a hearing loss. That's easy. And from the professional point of view, speech line pathologists can do hearing screening so they can check it. Okay. They can't diagnose. Okay. You can check it. Or audiologists can do the hearing test. Mm-hmm. And that's and, and that's in the means of referring to the audiologist. And that's really where it should go. Now, when the audiologist sees that the hearing is normal, okay, or the description of the behavior doesn't fit, even the mild, it's very mild, let's make believe, hearing loss, okay, then the audiologist has, or the field of audiology has available to it tests of auditory processing, and there are bunches of tests. The problem is, according to our professional association, again, like Asher, okay, is that they state all you need to do are three measures of auditory processing. And the thing is, auditory processing is not just three things. Okay. Well, what are the what are the three areas? Okay, the three areas, and I'm gonna hold back and say I'm not 100 percent sure because I don't use the our professional association's thing. But I know that one is speech understanding in quiet versus noise. Quiet is good, in noise it stinks. Use my language. <laughs> okay. So they can't filter out noise. Okay, so that's one. Speech and noise. Oh, I got it. I take it back. Okay. The other two are non verbal test just remember thank you for reminding me okay and we have mostly verbal as well as nonverbal. there are nonverbal. i'll give you an example one is called gap detection okay, so you're going to hear a sound okay and i'm going to make believe i'm doing it with you is that okay so everyone listen how many beeps do you hear beep you're the one good one beep two right mm-hmm. okay Question is, how much time did, did the equipment need to provide you to recognize the two versus the one? Mm-hmm. And I'll give you an example. Normally, it's very, very small. Okay. When you have a problem with the temporal or speed of processing, I'll give you an example. Beep one. 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 Beep deep Two, I hope you heard a lot more twos than I said one. Mm-hmm. Can't process and decide that I heard two until it became so far apart. Mm-hmm. You know, and very often it can be a quarter of a second. I'll explain that everyone time said well, half a second before the person said two. Now we say a quarter of a second, half a second. Not a lot of that's not a lot of time. Well, let me just tell you that when we speak. We don't process words. We process the sounds. And if you played with the way I played, you ever play Bingo Seek? Okay. Mm-hmm. Did you ever count? Mm-hmm. Did you use Mississippi or, <laughs> or something like that? But we use Mississippi. Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Listen to the phonemes. One, mi, si, si, pi. That's one second. Mm. That means there's five units, 20 milliseconds for each of those things. For one second. Oh, if it takes me one second to hear the one and then another second I need before I can hear the myth and another second before I can hear the is, you know, you got the idea. How am I going to hear someone say one Mississippi, which is all done in one second? Mm. 
just too fast. The other one is they call it pitch patterns or tonal patterns. And that is where you hear tones that are of different pitches. Now, give you an example. Ready? Okay. Beep, beep. And you would say they're different. Mm -hmm. I ask you, can you describe it? And I'll train you to say low, high. That if you have beep, beep, high, low. But now I give you three beeps and all recorded. Beep, beep, beep. That'd be low, high, high. Beep, beep, beep. That's high, low, high, etc. That, and notice how fast it came also. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's what ASHA and a lot of the, and the American Academy of Audiology recommended is to use these nonverbal measures. Hope that as a speech line pathologist, you would agree with me. I'm not interested in whether he can or can't count beeps, can tell you whether it's high or low. He's not a musician, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I want to know, understand when someone says to what's your name and respond. Mm-hmm. Would, you, would you answer the door? And he goes to the door and sees who's there. Mm-hmm. We want to know their language. Mm-hmm. There are dozens of measures of formal standardized tests of auditory processing. Problem, a lot of audiologists don't like to use them aren't comfortable using them, or if they do, they use the American Academy of Audiology and the ASHA criteria, which is pass. The pass-fail. Yeah. And the pass-fail factor is if you pass all the measures, no problem. If you fail two measures at two standard deviations below the mean, or one measure at three standard deviations below the mean, ready? You have an auditory processing disorder. Now comes the question, what type? Mm. All we know is you have a problem. That would be like going to the doctor and you say, my nose is constantly running. Doctor comes out with a great diagnosis. You got a runny nose. Would you agree my nose could be running because I have, I apologize where we live now, COVID, treatment for that. Mm. A flu, different treatment for that. A cold, different treatment for that. Allergies, different treatment for that. Sinus infection, different treatment for that. Not knowing what specifically is causing the runny nose, how do I get treated properly? Mm-hmm. So there's only a few in terms of percentages, very small percentage of audiologists who go beyond just he has a problem, she has a problem without telling what specifically it is. And very often what they use are the tests rather mm-hmm. than how the system is working. So therefore, the people who do the therapy, which is very often. Mm-hmm. How can we also, you talked about the speech, make the speech measures for auditory processing. Can you give an example of the speech measures as well? The best thing that I can say is it's one thing is that when you do a battery of speech language, well, it's language, really the language tests mostly. Okay. When you do a battery of language tests, how did the child or well, Students, you know, talking about student athletes, that's why I think. Okay. How did the, the person, whoever it is, perform on the receptive tests versus the expressive? And all of us should probably agree on the same thing. We're going to play the game of Jeopardy. Okay. And the answer is, and then I'll put the question the answer is receptive input. The question is, what do children learn in language first? Receptive or expressive? And it oh, is. Okay. It's receptive, right? It's receptive. Input. Mm-hmm. And just so that you all will know, 
receptive language or general, anything with to do with language, we'll call it receptive ability occurs in utero, mm. usually somewhere between the sixth and seventh month gestation, which means usually three months before the child is born, that child already is familiar with the rhythm of the language that the mother's going to use, mm -hmm. which differs depending on the, you know, being of the bilingual or multilingual family, especially here in the United States, and not necessarily with specific words and their meaning, but with sounds, especially vowels, which are low frequency, and with what we call the stronger or the voiced consonants, like b, and especially m, you know, the longer sounds right, that we hear, d, you know, because they make more internal sound waves within the mother and the baby's ear hears it and the baby starts to distinguish that. So auditory processing begins in utero before we're born. Processing doesn't begin until what? Well, after we're born. Mm -hmm. And then expressive language much, much later. Mm. And so basically, if you see someone, I just tested you, okay? What I found was that your receptive language ability is 80, and your expressive language is 96. Why is your receptive so low? It could be the input, mm -hmm. and therefore it could be audible. Hmm. Thank you for that. Thank you for breaking it down so we understand. And so we talked about assessments. So I really want to talk about the interventions, you know, the different mm -hmm. interventions for hearing loss versus auditory processing and also academic accommodations, you know, modifications that we can use with this population, with student athletes, you know, return to learning and then also returning to work as well. Surely. OK, well, since you put interventions first and the accommodation second, I'll present it that way. If that's OK. Sure. Okay. Okay, interventions for hearing loss. Okay, this is important. Okay, some of the interventions for hearing loss are appropriate also for athletes who have concussions. Okay, again, the very beginning or the first things that we do when we process is we hear the words, we distinguish the sounds, and differentiate. And if it's okay, can I use your name? Okay. Sure. So there's a big difference between the name Tabia, right? Okay. And Labia, right? Mm -hmm. In the L. But what if I can't discriminate that? Are you Labia or are you Tabia? I'm Tabia. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, yes. Right, Labia. I know. <laughs> okay. So one thing we often do is we tell people to look at our lips. Mm -hmm. Now, watch carefully. Tell me if, you, if I'm saying an L or a T. Well, you said, I saw the L. I saw that your tongue at the end. I said, love you. <laughs> well, watch carefully again. That's the tongue for the T. Mm -hmm. They're not very different. You know, there's a slight difference. She's mm -hmm. got good, good lip reading, everyone. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, right. The thing is that a lot of the, you know, okay, a better example would love, be. Okay, love you. Love you. La, not sticky, no. Labia, la tubby. Okay, yes. Okay, I understand. Okay. Right. Labia, tubia. tubia. Okay. Right. Okay. I'll, okay, I'll use an easy one, okay? Okay. Me and B. Ready? Which one is it? M. Mm -hmm. 
can't see it because one of the things we do for people with hearing loss is we give them the visual. Right. Right. So that they can help discriminate because that is different from the, which is very different from the, which would be the K of the G. Okay. Just using as it, or the open end, which is a vowel or an H if we use it. Or people with auditory processing problems, even hearing loss, especially with their sports injuries, they very often lose that discrimination. And so they usually are very good at discriminating low pitch sounds versus high pitch sound, you know, like vowels versus, you know, TH, right? You know, and sometimes it may help when they have difficulty discriminating, you know, sounds that are similar. Okay, so we use high pitch sound. And I'm going to use the sounds of SH versus the sounds of S, right? To teach them lip reading. And I'll do it. S, I'll write the word C versus she. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to describe it, but would you agree? C is very smiley, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Whereas she is almost like sticking your lips out a little bit, you know, although they're open more, I'll kind of a kitsy way, but it's a little open more, right? So therefore, the lip reading, which helps people who are hard of hearing, can very often help someone who has discrimination problems, you know, auditory discrimination problems in terms of auditory processing. The other is with people with hearing loss, they may not have the inner ear auditory distinction, whereas the kid with the, you know, or I always say, I work with children, mostly, you know, students, I shouldn't say children. Yeah, it gets everyone below the age of 21 as a child. So the thing is with students in school, and the thing is that you get someone who has had an injury, the thing is they usually can tell the difference between certain sounds, but they get lost, mm. even in quiet. Then you can do auditory training in school, auditory discrimination training, okay, like I did with you. We can help with the visual or just do it through pure listening. Another factor is background noise. One thing we have for people with hearing aids is we can put filters in the hearing aid these days that helps reduce some of the background noise. Okay, I'm going to make a joke, but I think the answer is going to be no. But remember, you now have a concussion, Mm -hmm. make believe, you have hearing aids? No. No. So therefore, there's no filter, right? Mm -hmm. And the answer would be is should we give them a hearing aid with a filter? Or should we train them? My answer is train them. Two reasons, especially especially when you get to middle school and high school. Middle school, high school age people who don't have hearing loss aren't comfortable very often wearing hearing aids. Mm. So therefore, they don't want the plug in their ear. They want the ears to be open, especially so they can do the usual plug. We call what the cell phone (laughs) or the music. So we want them to learn how to filter out now, noise, okay, there are programs and apps that do this. If you don't wish to do the apps, start with words and then mix it with meaningless noise. I'll give you an example. You know, they call it white noise, just noise. And words again, but instead of meaningless noise, make it like speech babble. You know, it's like when you go to a restaurant. And then words, and they have to repeat the words and focus on the words versus 
someone say, telling a story or saying a sentence. Then from words, you can start going into phrases, making sentences. Eventually, you're going to have what happens about words competing with other words that we hear in my story. Okay? Can they learn to listen to the words? That can be something that we want to do with both with hearing loss as well as auditory processing. Next level is now just the auditory processing. Okay? There is something called integrative processing where we want both sides of the brain to work together. It's called two by ears are called otic, but when you put the eye in front of otic, is dichotic, dichotic listening. And there's special programs for dichotic listening. And in my experience, it's usually done by occupational therapists sometimes, but usually it's done by speech pathologists. Mm. Not too many audiologists do the therapy. So they have to meet with someone with this dichotic listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's auditory processing, okay? the filtering. That's auditory processing. The discrimination, that's auditory processing. Mm-hmm. Another area, I'm just going to do a few, is speed of processing, right? We talked about the speed, okay? There is a program that works on speed. There's a couple, but the one that I usually recommend, because it has evidence-based published research, is a program called Interactive Metronome, and it works on speed can you of say processing. That, can you say that again for our yes. listeners? Interactive Metronome which they very often called I am. Hey, welcome to our world of speech pathology, right? And I am is very often done with speech pathologists or occupational therapists. And remember, I also talked about sometimes the frustrations and the negativity because of frustrations. There are listening therapies. There's a bunch of them. Listening therapies. And the listening therapies that are used for people with auditory processing, I'll give you just four very popular ones. Integrated Listening Systems, abbreviated ILS, The Listening Program, abbreviated TLP, and Therapeutic Listening, which is from a company called Vital Links. So it doesn't have an abbreviation. And then the other one is called MATIS, which originally came from France. And they work on training the brain to be more relaxed and reducing negativity when I listen which very often you have to start with because the athletes very often are very, they become very, very negative, very, very overly sensitive. So these are just a couple of specific therapies. What about language? Okay, Language, very often because they can't put together the auditory, but the language center may still be better. What if we build up and strengthen the language area? Receptive language. One program again. I'm not pushing the company. I make no money on it, okay, that I love because really it helps with listening, forming a mental image, and then building on the pieces as they come in until you can figure out the whole. Mm. For example, I'm going to describe them. How many of you you ever played 20 questions? Mm -hmm. Right. It's describing things, but one question or one item at a time. And the commercial program is called Visualizing and Verbalizing, and it helps with the integrative language back and then obviously the receptive language stuff is mm-hmm. very important we can do to help these people accommodations okay number one when you were in school and you were learning and the teacher said next week we're going to start a new unit of study you didn't have to say yes or no 
Would you agree? Many students go home and they read the chapter about that unit before they come into class or they just skim through it. Well, they preview. Well, students in school aren't taught to preview. We very often have to teach it ourselves. But what if we teach the child to preview before they come into class? They already can get some of the key points, key words. We're, and I'll give you an example. We're going to do a lesson in the class called chemistry. And one of the things we're going to learn about is a table. Would you agree? We're not talking about a flat surface that holds things with legs. Okay. It's a chart called the table, the periodic table. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm there in class and I can't process well. The teacher's talking about a table. And I finally figure out it's the word table. I'm looking around class. Where in the world is the table? Where are the chemicals? Do they have table with chemicals on them? You know, okay. No, it's a chart that the teacher's talking about. But I could preview table used in this lesson will be the periodic table, which is a chart, or I'm prepared better. Another example, history, okay? What do you do at a party? I ask you that. Can you answer that? What do you do at a party? Eat, dance. Right. Do you go on a ship and take tea and throw it into the Boston Harbor? <laughs> no. <laughs> then why is it called the Boston Tea Party? <laughs> do you agree? But if I can preview that the lesson is going to be called the Boston Tea Party, forget the word party. It takes place in Boston and it has something to do with tea. I'm not going to be so lost. Mm-hmm. A real example. Real example, young girl that I once saw, and she got in trouble and actually was sent to the principal's office. I think this is in middle school. They were learning about the Russian Revolution. She decided to preview on her own by reading, and she read the Kazar. Do you remember the Kazar? C Z A R? Okay, probably no, but you probably know the Tsar. <laughs> okay, and the thing is, the teacher's lecturing about the Tsar. And she's saying, who in the world is the czar? I read it. I previewed it. There was nothing called czar, Z-A-R. There was a czar. So she raises her hands and says, who's the czar? And the teacher, you know, kind of basically says, and then lesson goes on. She says, then she raises her hand and says, is the czar related to the czar? <laughs> and the teacher told her, because the whole class started laughing like you just did. And the thing is, the teacher thought that she was trying to be cute and funny and break up the class and distract the class and therefore sent her to the main office. Mm-hmm. What she got in trouble really was saying is that- and we talk about the behavior did, too before, how that can yeah. be for behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the thing is, if she had previewed, someone could have said to her, that word is not kuzar, it's foreign word pronounced czar, forget the C, right? So she will no longer wish everyone a merry crisp. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying, right? Okay, right. so we can preview that. The other thing is slow down. It's called chunking. I'll give you an example. Remember your hands? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your hands, you're going to look at your hands now, right? Are dirty. Go upstairs. Wash your hands. Then come down and join us for dinner. I have chunked it so that it's slower giving your brain more of a chance to process things. And so that's something that can be done in lecturing or in class like I'm doing now. It's impossible to do because the rest of the class is going to be very annoyed. Mm -hmm. But that can be done during the previewing, the Mm pre-teaching. That could be done if the person has a tutor, a one-on-one, 
that can be done when you're speaking directly to the person. So these are some accommodations that can be used. Well, thank you, Dr. Lucker, yes. for that. I mean, those are excellent examples. I am going to ask you, do you have a case example of a client that you currently work with that is an athlete that you've worked with that you could give us an example? Sure. Case study? And, yes. Yeah. I don't know. How much time do we have? Not- well, we're going to open this up for questions now from... Um, okay. Um, after after this, after I do well. this? Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. As a matter of fact, preparing for this, it really surprised me that I just saw a child earlier this week. This is a middle school age child, not earlier this week, today's Wednesday. Yes, it was earlier this week. So it was Monday or Tuesday. The thing is that he is, now this is a boy, male. He loves athletics. He was involved in athletics when he was in elementary school, going to the recreation athletics. And one of the things he loved and the recreation he did was football. Okay, now, I would agree, and I think most of us would say, you don't really do the real tackling. You really don't do that kind of stuff. So you don't train the kids like in, you know, in third, fourth grade to do that. But what do the kids do once they've been doing it? They start doing it on their own, you know, as long as the coach is not around. Right? And so one of the things was, and the only thing that surprised me is the mother brought the child in because he had had two accidents. And the last one was a very serious concussion. I asked the mother about the concussion. And this is something that probably some of you may have come across. That is, he wasn't wearing his helmet. And the only thing we can think of is why, well, it might have bothered him, or maybe you know, he didn't have it on properly, fell off, or whatever. It wasn't there. And two boys from the other team attacked him. Not touch football. Even if it was touch football, they attacked him, knocked him down. And he went straight to the ground and smacked his head on the wall. And then what the mother did was, this was when he was in, he's now in seventh grade. This was when he was in fifth grade. Now, if he's in seventh grade now, would everyone agree? Fifth grade was all what? Virtual learning because of COVID. Mm -hmm. And so the thing is, he wasn't doing well. Everyone was blaming the virtual learning. Mm -hmm. So he had a tutor but he still wasn't doing well. He was a kid who was reading like this, dropped down. Math, dropped down. So he had a All baseline. Of his subject right? he took yeah, baseline dropped down. Well. Everything dropped down. And the thing is that everything was being blamed on the COVID. He, you know, this year comes along. He goes into seventh grade, second year in middle school. The thing is that they go into a, it's not virtual, what do they call Know, and half the time you're in school and half the time in person and virtual like a hybrid. Mm-hmm. A hybrid. I couldn't remember the word. <laughs> they have a hybrid learning. And it's those sports engineers. Hybrid learning. And the thing is that when he's in class, he's doing fairly well, doing better than when he's at home. But the problems he's having learning at home are equivalent to the problems he's having learning in class. And then finally, no one knew what it was. He went for a psychological evaluation. First thing the psychologist hit was every time you talk to him, he doesn't understand. He takes forever. Okay. So I'm going to do a psychological test with you. Okay. Repeat the numbers. Three, nine, seven. Here's his response. Three, nine, seven. Did I get it right? You got it right. But it just took Yes, he did. But Mm -hmm. what took so long? And it was constant. It was constant. Obviously, the other thing also is when the numbers got more and more, his memory dropped down. 
But the thing is, what took so long? The first thing, this is a psychologist. I were referred parent to bring him to me. When I saw this kid, the thing that hit me was it's a decision-making problem. He very often will hear a word, like broken up, like the phonemes and stuff like that. Like what word is his immediate response? I'm wait. Good. Now, what word is that? Response. Time. He couldn't say cat. And I blended together. I mean, it was the weirdest thing that really, so he had, as the reading problem, his reading was fine for the words he probably memorized and he knew right away. But when he came to a new word, one he's not sure of, and think about that, he's in middle school, you know, he's trying to sound it out. And when talking with him, his mother said, his mother brought him, and if I say something to him and he doesn't know what I'm saying, she'll use a multisyllabic word. So I can't think of a multi. So I'm just going to use blah, blah, blah as a multisyllabic word. And you say blah, 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 right? Because that's the way it's going to sound. His response to her was, okay, bad example, but I'll have to use this. I can only think of two. Mother's going to say, did you leave your blah, blah, whatever it is. Did you leave your hat outside? And his response to her is that he's looking to the side and said, which side do you see my hat on? In other words, he processed outside, which is one word, as two words, never even got the out. Mm-hmm. All he got was the side. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to think of where is his hat? Which side is it on? And it had nothing to do with that. She meant, you know, to leave it outside instead of bring it in. Mm-hmm. And these, so he had a lot of blending, as we would call it, problems. Mm-hmm. Speed of processing, background noise, quiet, repeat the words. It's all recorded. 100% right ear, 100% for the left ear. Background noise, I think he was lucky, 25 words. I think he was lucky if he got like eight words, mm. which is eight, 16, 24. It's only about one third of the words with the background noise. Then he finally tells me, mother never told me, is that it's hard to hear with that noise. And I have a noise in my head all the time. Mm-hmm. So I tested his tolerance mm-hmm. for the noise to see how we can do it. And if people were to yell at you, how many of you agree? I don't like it, but probably will say, please don't yell. But I could put up with it. Mm-hmm. This kid went like this when he heard the loud sounds. He was, really, sh- was like a shock, like a shock, very shocked. Mm-hmm. Well, think about school. And I apologize. How many of you agree? Someone bangs the door closed. Mm-hmm. Someone drops startled. a book on the floor. It's startled. He startles. Mm-hmm. And during that startle, he's lost everything. And so he had a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that school psychologist had evaluated him and given him a four-digit diagnosis. Okay, bet you can guess what it is. Starts with an A and it has two Ds. What we talked about earlier, the ADHD. Right, ADHD. Mm-hmm. The thing is, does he really have ADHD? Or is it that he's getting so frustrated and just lost? And so one was my report, which I've already written on him, a whole bunch, almost three pages of accommodations. Mm. And I talked about treatments for him. Mm. And the goal is we help him. Yeah. Want graduate level semester credits for your speechtherapypd.com courses? They are available now in collaboration with the University of Pacific. 
And as you know, most of our 750 plus video and audio courses are evidence-based and all are super practical. Subscribe now. Well, I'm sure you'll be able to help him with all your knowledge, Dr. Lucker. <laughs> and so he's thank in you. good hands. He's in thank good you. hands. But I mean, I'm just, thank you so much for breaking it down for us, the hidden hearing loss, because it's so important for speech pathologists to understand to screen for hearing loss, but also the hidden hearing loss too. So they can make the appropriate referrals and understand how that may impact the student athlete for return to learning and return to work and also return to playing. Because if you're having difficulty with auditory processing, when you're on the field and you're trying to listen for the plays and you have the background noise, you're going to have difficulty, you know, remembering the plays and listening. And so you're going to have to train not only the coaching staff and, you know, his teammates on, you know, how to also work with him in this area as well. So it's a really an interprofessional approach because you said like the psychologist referred right. him to you. And then I'm sure you would refer him to a speech pathologist or we working with a speech pathologist as well. So, cause we talked about some of that, you know, the different, how we can work together. So mm -hmm. I just, Thank you so much, Dr. Lefter, for, you know, truly, truly appreciate your research, your education and expertise you provided about introducing us to sports concussions and the hidden hearing loss. And Dr. Lefter, how can our listeners reach you? And can you put your information in the chat box as well? But if you could let our listeners know how to reach you. Surely. What I will do is, while you're talking to the audience, go into the chat and I'll put my email address which comes directly to me, as well as I'm willing to share my business cell phone. Yes. Can you tell us your email and your phone number as well for the listeners? Okay. So I'll tell you my email address. I'll do it slowly, the alphabetical way. Okay. A Apple, P Peter, D David, another D David, R Robert, A John, at gmail.com. So if I could say the whole thing, auditory processing is called auditory processing disorder. So the first three letters of my email is APD. And I am known as Dr. J, E-R-J. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Yes, right. You got it. Right. My, my business phone number. You're welcome to call me also. I am in the state of Maryland, 301-254-8582. You're welcome. Well, thank you so much for joining me this evening. I am Dr. Tabia Pope, and you can reach me at info at headtospeech.org, or you can follow me at Head to Speech on Instagram or Facebook. And I just thank you so much for listening to the On the Neuro podcast presented by SpeechTherapyPD.com. And we'll see you next week on Wednesdays. So please join us next week as well. Thank you, Dr. Lucker. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Good night, Good night. everyone. Thanks for joining us at SLP Learning Series. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs. We appreciate your positive reviews and support and would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe. If you like this and want to hear more, we are offering an audio course subscription special coupon code to listeners of this podcast. Type the word SLP Learn for $20 off. With hundreds of audio courses on demand and new courses released weekly, it's only $59 per year with the code. 
Visit speechtherapypd.com and start earning ASHA CEUs today. Thank you.